When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact, and I'm excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into our journey to make the world more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Joe Machicoti. Joe Machicoti is the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer for Premier Inc., partnering with the CEO, executive team, and other stakeholders Across Premier, Joe serves as the organizational leader in the company responsible for creating an expansive, far-reaching vision and strategic plan to formalize a culture of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging within the company. He also serves as Premier's spokesperson on matters related to DEI. Some of his specialties include human resource management, diversity and inclusion, organizational psychology and development, organizational design, employee relations, employment law, and labor relations. Joe Machicoti, welcome to our show. Thank you, Justin. So our first question that we love to ask our guests is, what brings you joy? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, There's so much. And, you know, number one, I'll start by saying I am extremely blessed. Um, You know, what brings me joy is my family. And uh, I have an interesting mixed family. Um, My wife and I are both a widow and widower couple. We both lost our spouses to cancer um, somewhere around the 20 years of marriage mark. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she and I, uh, our families were friends. Our kids grew up together. And, um, you know, at one point I actually worked for her uh, at uh, doing community, uh, volunteer stuff. And she was leading the committee and I was one of the people on the committee, but, uh, her husband had passed away first and, you know, our family reached out. And when my wife passed away, she was just there for me all the time. And, uh, and it's interesting. We would go for walks every single Saturday and, uh, and we would talk about all of the bad dates we were going on. And what we realized (laughs) was the best date of the week best date of the week was mine and hers on Saturday. So we finally figured it out. And uh, so now we've been married for seven years and we each bring two kids that we call our inherited children uh, into the into the marriage. They're grown and they're out of the house. So they're all doing well and on their own. But um, but yeah, I am so blessed. And, and those are the things that bring me joy is that I could find love twice in the same lifetime is <clears throat> simply amazing. Simply That's amazing. fantastic. Oh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, so absolutely. in your current role at Premier Inc., what steps have you taken to create and implement a strategic DEI plan that your team can also implement? Lots of our listeners are kind of in that situation or they're thinking about transitioning to that. How can I come up with a plan that people will be not just merely compliant with, but enthusiastically supportive of? How can you come up with an implementable plan? 
Yeah. So at see, so I've been in diversity for 22 years. Um, wow. Out of my 30 years in HR, 22 of them have been in diversity leadership. So I have certainly made a whole bunch of mistakes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I think, you know, now is the time. And, you know, one of the things that I love about Premier, I'm just coming up on a year working with the company. And at the time, um, you know, we all know this, um, the events of last summer, George Floyd, COVID, I mean, you name it, and it was going on in our society. It flipped a bunch of switches in corporate America. And a lot of these Mm. switches said, we need somebody to come in and actually look at this. It's just not a nice to do anymore. It's got to be a operational, corporate, and cultural imperative. Right. Um, so many companies did that. Not all companies did that, but many did. Uh, Premier was one. And I, honestly, I was looking at a couple of companies, and part of the reason that I joined Premier was because they had a, a good foundational um, uh you know, they had built, already built strong foundation around diversity and inclusion. They were just looking for, so what does 2.0 and 3.0 look like? Uh, so, so I would say, you know, as you, as we think about implementing a strategic plan that people can hook onto is making sure that it is tied to the business culture. Hmm. Um, it's got to be part of the DNA. It can't be a separate sidecar. You know, in some of my DE&I roles, you know, it's it's kind of felt like, um, you know, almost like it was the office of diversity and inclusion where people go to when there's something to talk about in diversity, as right. opposed to ingrating it in the culture. So mm-hmm. so, for instance, you know, when I walked into Premier, there were four conversations going on. The first one was about leadership and culture. So, you know, what is not only the employee experience, but what's the community experience? What's the investor experience? Hmm. And at Premier, we support over 4,000 hospitals. So what's our member experience? So we were talking about those things. And, you know, so that became a conversation on how does our leadership and how is our leadership and culture being experienced by all of our constituents? Conversation number two was community development. Our mission is to improve the health of communities. So, you know, what are we doing as an organization and how are we helping our hospital members to improve communities? Mm. Um, number three was on people and workplace, and which is where most people usually associate diversity and inclusion. But how are our people experiencing us? What are the things that we're doing in the workplace so that it's inclusive and people feel like they belong? And then the fourth one was supplier diversity. And supplier diversity is one of those things where people have thought for a long time that this is just a nice to do. So the the conversation in the room now is this is a strategic imperative. And part of it is because the supplier diversity is an economic engine for the communities that you're doing business in. So by building supply diversity partnerships, it helps create jobs. Jobs help create socioeconomic community development and sustainability. Mm -hmm. Right. That helps improve education because when I'm working, Mm -hmm. I'm learning. I can, you know, I can get my kids, I can support my schools and that creates better healthcare outcomes as well. Yes. So, you know, you look in these communities and, you know, all of these, um, you know, uh, the social determinants of health that are being created by poverty and all of these other things, that's what makes a community decline. 
So being able to reinvest in a community in a way that makes sense, where you're growing a partnership through supplier diversity, just makes all the sense in the world. So the, so the way that I ingrain it is I raise these conversations from the leadership level. Number one, I report to the CEO as well. So right. you know, I wanted to be in a, in a place in the organization where I had some decision rights as well. Right. And you've got yes. to be at the table, right? Yes. And all of this has to come from the table. So, um, so we're, you know, uh, the way that it starts to incorporate with everyone is being able to make those strategic, um, decisions from the top of the organization. Cause mm-hmm. as John Maxwell says, as go the leader, so goes the organization. Right. So, so that is the way that it begins to trickle down. I also have that premiere a great, uh, network of 10 separate employee resource groups. Wow. And recently what we've done is we've taken those employee resource groups and given them, you know, all of them had subcommittees. So what we did was, and all of those subcommittees had a voice. So we said, well, why not take these subcommittee voices and align them with our four strategic pillars? This way, the organization has a business resource advisory group on how these things are actually being implemented. You know, our, our former CEO, before she left, um, her name is Susan DeVore. She said, you know, if you want to know what's going on in a company, ask an employee. And there's no better strategy than to use DEI and B to, um, to ask employees what's going on in the organization. How are we being experienced inside and outside the organization? And then look through that lens of diversity to make the company and the culture better. That's fantastic. And kind of drawing from the community, from the suppliers, from the executives, from the employee resource groups. And we tell this over and over. I think lots of times people have the passion for diversity, equity, inclusion, and they translate that passion into, I have to do something that's exhausting Mm -hmm. and I have to reinvent and I have completely overhauled it as opposed to let's start learning with what we already have. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like, let's start there. (laughs) Absolutely. And and the other thing is, you know, it's a mindset. Mm. So I can't tell you how often in my past doing this, you know, I've I've had a leader say to me, well, I just don't want anybody doing anything extra. It's like, Mm. well, we still have to hire people, right? Right. So what what if we just change our mindset around the way we hire people? I'm not asking you to do more. I'm asking you to do different. And I think, you know, and, and that is the way to get it steeped into the culture, you know, yes. keep people the things that we take for granted that people should know this, you know, right. because especially if you grew up in it or you've been a victim of it or you've experienced mm-hmm. it, you have a different perspective. For the people that haven't, this is all new. This is right. something that's fairly new to them. And, uh, and you got to teach and you got to be patient. And we got to realize that. These are not light switch activities. Some of them are dimmer switch activities. It's mm-hmm. going to take a minute for people to get. And you mentioned drawing from all these different resources to kind of show people how it is not just a moral imperative, but it's also a business imperative, how it's in their own self-interest, how it will help you fulfill your mission, vision, values of the organization even better by doing diversity, equity, inclusion work. How do you go about if you already have buy-in from the leadership? And buy-in from the employee resource groups, like the scenario that you laid out. But study after study shows the kind of effectiveness and sustainability of DEI rests on the middle managers who are sometimes 
maybe reluctant, maybe outright resistant, or maybe overwhelmed. So if you have support at the top and you have support of everybody else, how do you end up getting support and also sustained efficiency from the people in the middle who are often charged with carrying the water and making these things happen? Yeah. I I think the mistake that a lot of organizations make is our culture is wonderful. Therefore, it doesn't have to have to be documented. Mm. And, you know, when you document a culture and you put in place, what are the things we allow? What are the things we don't allow? What's your system of agreements and commitments? And how am I going to hold people accountable to those agreements and commitments? But so often we go through life with the unwritten rules. And then when somebody breaks the unwritten rule, you can't, you know, by because of, you know, HR laws and all these other things, you can't hold them accountable. It's like, well, did they know? Well, they were supposed to know. Well, that's not a good enough answer. Well, I can't hold them accountable then, right? So how about we start documenting these uh, agreements, these, you know, uh, these um, commitments, if you will, to how we're going to make that culture happen? Um, You know, and like I said before, you know, DEI and B is a mindset. And shame on us if we're not taking those middle managers and teaching them what that mindset is mm. and naming what the mindset is. What do you want it to be? So, right. you know, I've been, been doing a lot of research. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm 58 years old, but I am definitely not, have not stopped learning. Mm. And one of the things that organizations are talking about right now is a growth mindset. And it, yeah. it you know, comes from a, a, a seedling of a thought, right, of the difference between you know, I have a fixed growth mindset or or a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. But what if you use something like that to put in the mindset of how I'm going to treat individuals, how Mm -hmm. I'm going to wake up in the morning? So, you know, one of my personal mantras um, that I bring with me into the diversity world is when I wake up in the morning, my goal in life is to leave everything and everyone better than I found it. Right. If you start by by treating people through that mindset, it almost becomes impossible mm-hmm. to do the kind of things that middle managers get fired for. Yep. You know, if I'm having a difficult conversation, if I'm doing it through the mindset of I'm going to leave you better than I found you, imagine the change in that conversation just by itself. Right. Right. So so it's teaching these middle managers the mindset, but then also holding them accountable for when they don't. Hmm. Because not everybody is going to buy in. Right. And what and a culture is a movement. And here's what happens in a movement. All you need is one lone person to start the movement. The yeah. first one that joins makes that person the leader. After that, you watch people come on and come on and come on. till at some point, the people on the outskirts start to feel uncomfortable. Because it's like, what's going on? Wait, hold on a second. Yeah, Yeah, the status quo has shifted. Yes. It's over there. That's what the normal thing is now. And I'm out of step. Yeah. Especially for middle managers. That's very, and to their credit, their job is to kind of maintain the status quo, to keep, they take the directives from up top and they make sure that. So once it becomes clear, the status quo has changed and your personal feet dragging is no longer in step with what the organization is doing, what the industry is doing, what the country is doing. Oh, I better, I better get in line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Right. And then at that point, somebody may even decide, you know what, this isn't for me. It's time for me to check out Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. And you mentioned this growth mindset. 
What would you recommend people who are beginning their kind of diversity, equity, inclusion journey? They're thinking about transitioning into a career or they're just starting off. What specific areas, other than you said you're learning a lot about growth mindset, what other things would you recommend that they do to grow their knowledge and resources? Mm. Study leadership. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm constantly reading books on leadership, organizational culture, um, study that stuff. You know, I think people kind of think I need to go out there and get a diversity degree. Um, there are certifications and things like that that you can get, but adopt your own mindset for how you want to lead and, mm. how, and, and start with how would I like to be led? Right. And then and then live into that. And, and read the stuff you agree with, read the stuff you disagree with, um, you know, find yourself a mentor, but more importantly, find yourself a sponsor that mm. is going to take you through the organization. You know, one of the things I'm about to do, I'm going to hire a manager of diversity and inclusion. And one of the things that I put on the job description is you don't have to have done diversity and inclusion before, because here's the thing. I want you to have competence and I want you to have character. And I can teach you the skill sets you need, but uh-huh. let's start with competence and character. And can you speak a little bit about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship for maybe some of the listeners who don't know when they're saying, oh, maybe I already have a mentor. What yeah. would you do for telling them the difference of what a sponsor is and also how to go about getting one? Yes, absolutely. So a sponsor is somebody that is going to see you for um, everything you bring. They're going to see the entire person. And that sponsor is going to introduce you. They're going to be the person that you ask for the recommendation from. Now, you want to get that from your mentor as well. Mentors are usually the type of person that's going to teach you the ropes. Right. right. And, it's the teaching. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, right. And mentor, I, I think it, it's Latin or Greek or something like that, actually means teacher. Mm-hmm. The sponsor is someone who says, I know this individual. This individual mm-hmm. can do no wrong by me, you know. <laughs> they, yeah, I will they, sign they my name up. to them. Yes, yes. Like mentor will be like, here's the advice I'm giving you from the shadows, right. but you're going to go out there on your own. And I mean that flippantly, but sponsors be like, oh no, I'm coming out with you. Yeah. <laughs> I will put my name and I will stake my credentials and my reputation on what this person's doing. Yes, that's exactly right. And typically a sponsor is also in a decision-making role right? Or has very high decision rights or influence that can help move you into a, into a position. And the way you get there is have your, you know, create your network, make sure you're expanding your network, get on LinkedIn, reach out to people who have big titles and say, Hey, you know what? I would love to do a 10 minute interview with you just to see where you got to. Mm. Most people love being able to tell that story. And if they see something where they want to connect with you, you've got an instant sponsor. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. How can our folks stay in contact with you? Um, so I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> it's Joseph Machicote. It's M-A-C-H-I-C-O-T-E. Uh, for anyone that's looking, there's not a whole lot of Machicotes on LinkedIn, so mm-hmm. pretty easy to find. <laughs> and if you look at, if you look up through our company, Premier Inc., uh, you'd be able to find me there as well. But, uh, but yeah, I've created a lot of different relationships over LinkedIn and, and just through the years connecting with people. Well, that's fantastic. And we'll, be make, we'll make sure that we add that information in our show notes as well. So Joe Machicote, thank you very much for spending this time with us and teaching us so much. Thank you so much, Justin. This has been fun.
We're so glad that you all tuned in this week for this episode of the Uplifting Impact Podcast. We need more people to help us uplift the impact. In order to do so, please be sure to share this episode, comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact. And you can look for Justin Ponder and Deanna Singh. Until next time, keep uplifting the impact. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.